0: Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another Momenta podcast. And today, our Guest is Mike Flanagan, uh, who is uh, you know, currently senior VP of Intelligent Enterprise Solutions at SAP. But uh, but he's also got a uh, really a, dis- a distinguished uh, career of adding value and creating a lot of value and, and being um, you know quite a quite a creative thinker in the connected industry world. And we're gonna uh, we're gonna expand a bit on some conversations we've had before. And uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully get into some some new areas too. So, Mike, it's a pleasure to have you join us on on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ed. Great. So, just just as 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 a a, a quick level set, uh, could you share a bit of your uh, your background and 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 the context of your background and and what's what's really shaped your view of what we call you know Internet of Things.
1: Uh, Yeah, so just quickly, I spent about 16 years with Cisco Systems in a variety of different roles, and uh, a lot of that touched not only IoT, but uh, the underlying data foundations and what needed to be done differently with traditional enterprise data versus IoT data. Uh, I worked with, advised, or served on the board of several startups in the connected industry space, uh, and for the last two and a half years, I've had the privilege of being with SAP, uh, first in uh, the analytics business, where obviously analyzing data and preparing data for analysis was a day-to-day topic uh, and iot data certainly brought some complexities to that that uh, we've helped customers solve uh, and then uh, for uh, for the last few months i've really been focused on uh, a broader context than just what we were doing in intelligent technologies like analytics machine learning and iot but really looking at how do you integrate those intelligent technologies with the core foundational systems that run your business to become an intelligent enterprise, uh, at least in theory, the output of uh, lots of digital transformation initiatives.
0: What does what does the term digital transformation to you uh, mean to you? And uh, really, from your perspective, would love to get that uh, get your thought on the term because it's it really has emerged as this you know the new meta term in the in the industry. Well, I I think the most important thing is that. Digital
1: transformation, a lot of times, ends up in a conversation about the technologies. And I don't think it is about the technology. It is about the fact that technology uh, allows you to solve problems that you've been trying to solve in other ways for a long time. Uh, My go-to example for that is manufacturing quality. If you're in manufacturing, you've been finding ways to improve the quality of what comes off of your manufacturing line for as long as you've been in business, at least hopefully. The idea of digital transformation is the application, in that case, of some technology to an age-old problem of how do you improve manufacturing quality. And the focus there has to be on, can I achieve a better business outcome by making use of some newer technology? Uh, This is certainly not the first time, uh, if you think about things like IoT or machine learning, that a manufacturer has gone through this cycle of, can I apply something new to help me solve an old problem and get a better outcome. Um, this is just, you know, I, I think an age where the technology is moving so fast that there is a world of opportunity for things that I might
0: apply to that old problem. How do you go about assessing the, you know, the uh, and prioritizing potential opportunities for well, whether we call it digitalization or, uh, you know, applying applying advanced technologies you when you're, you know, from, from the perspective of a, uh, you know, a big software company like SAP, it, you know, when you look at, at customers' problems, I mean, you you could almost, uh, there's almost no limit to, to where you where you can, uh, where you can focus. You know, what are what are some of the uh, kind of the key uh, factors that will uh, impact your thinking in, in terms of you know prioritizing, you know, what comes first and and, uh, and, and really where to focus.
1: Well, I mentioned a second ago that in my view, it's not about the technology, it's about the business result, and business outcome that you can get. Um, those business results and those business outcomes are in a lot of cases very specific to the industry uh, dynamics that are are in your particular industry. And so some things I think have to be looked at from a very uh, industry specific lens or a very process specific lens, which uh, then, then makes it specific to your industry. Um, There are other things, though, that I think can be said more broadly across industries. Every customer that I work with is trying fundamentally, if you really get through all of the buzzwords and the process language and the technology language and the industry-specific language, they're trying to solve one of three problems. How do I make more money? How do I spend less money? Or how do I stay out of jail said differently? How do I reduce my corporate risk? Um... Those three things, right risk, top line growth or bottom line savings should be the lens, the filter for every business project, whether it's digital or not. Uh, and when you think about digital projects, I think the uh, you know, the, the questions don't really change from more traditional projects, but sometimes because we're so enamored with the technology, we're so enamored with um, you know the, the idea of doing uh, these, you know, really interesting things with really interesting technologies, we lose sight of the fact that in the end, one of those three outcomes has to be improved by the project. I either have to have better ability to grow my top line, a better cost profile, or a lower overall risk exposure. And so the, that's the filter that I would use to, to look at every project. And then if you think about the combination of those three or the potential combinations of those three,
0: what I'm looking for is really the best return on my investment and that's a really a, you know, a I mean ultimately there's a there's a financial calculation that that comes into uh, into play there so um, the of course the challenge with you know, traditional industries is that uh, when you're when you go into newer opportunities you you have to you have to calculate a return on a uh, on a business line that, for instance, may not you know may, may not be established or there or there may not necessarily be a um, a, a lot of a lot of history uh, you know for, for a particular company. Um, so you know when you when you think about you know helping to define a you know a business case you know for a new initiative. I mean, what are what what are some of the key considerations that that you've seen work well? Um, for 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 a company that's looking to digitize some processes or or offer offer new products that really haven't they don't have experience in before, you know I think if you look at uh, what we're talking about now is digital transformation
1: initiatives or um, the, you know the kinds of things that that we're thinking of when we think about applying IoT or applying machine learning or applying advanced analytics in some way. Um, All the buzz around that, and automation as well, uh, things like robotic process automation, uh, as an example, those things right now are kind of in vogue. They're all the rage. It's what everybody's talking about. Um, If I reflect back 10 years, maybe 15, uh, BPO, business process outsourcing, was what everybody was talking about. Um, How do I take advantage of uh, labor arbitrage, lower labor rates in Offshore markets uh, to take well understood processes and, and move them uh, to somebody who can do them you know, better, faster, cheaper. Um, there are a lot of parallels that I believe you can draw between those two things. In both cases, I'm trying to figure out how to do either you know better, faster, or cheaper. I'm trying to figure out how to get more um, you know more cost squeezed out of a mature process. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to Uh, free up resources so that I can focus on um, initiatives that help grow top line in some other way. Or I take some of the risk that I have of doing a thing in-house that I'm not very good at, and I give it to someone else who's better at doing it because it's all they do all day. Um, Coming back again to grow the top line, reduce the expenses on the bottom line, or uh, reducing my overall risk. However, The one lesson that I watched a lot of companies learn about business process outsourcing is, if you don't deeply understand the process internally, you will have a very rocky road trying to outsource that process to someone else. And I think the same is true here. If you are thinking about a digital transformation initiative and you're thinking about where do I apply sensor data to improve this process where do i apply machine learning to help me predict an element of that process if you don't deeply understand that process already you're going to have a very rocky road applying technology to help that process outcome improve so make sure you start with processes that you deeply understand already Mm -hmm. because that's where you'll have the best ability to understand where to apply these technologies in order to get a better outcome
0: and, and the and the question that i that that comes from that is that when you're when you understand processes there's this uh you're you're really looking to bridge a couple of different uh types of domain knowledge one is you know under, understanding you know business specific uh context and and essentially you know how how proce- how processes operate and 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 the dynamics there but then also being able to translate that into data that is Going to be relevant and measurable, and I, I uh, always like to uh, understand better how one can set appropriately determine what what data is best to measure and how how you can benchmark, for instance, goals to really to measure the success of a of a product uh, or project that rather that's uh, you know where you have a measure of you know automation or digital, digitalization that that's coming out of that. Well, I think
1: you've I mean I think you've touched on the key point, which is uh, y- you have to understand what it is that you're trying to improve and the business value of improving that uh, in order to uh, you know in order to attack the right the right place so uh, you know if you if you think about again the example of manufacturing quality, um, there are lots of things that I could improve in the production of a product um, yeah and and any one of them I could measure. On defect rate, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It doesn't matter what you manufacture. You know whether you're printing books or you're making televisions or you're you know whatever. Um, I can measure the product that I intended to produce and the product that I actually produced and identify defects. Um, however, it is very industry specific, very company specific, in many cases, very product line specific. The customer impact of a specific kind of defect, right? So, um, yeah, as, as an example, if I'm in the business of printing books, does it matter if my does it matter to my end consumer if the text on the book jacket or the cover of the book is crooked? Yeah, that probably matters quite a lot. Um, it's a you know it, it, it looks bad on the shelf. It you know it it, it looks like you were sort of sloppy in the way that you did it. Uh, my assumption is that your product is not a very high quality, and so I probably don't want to read it, and I won't pick it up off the shelf. Um, on the other hand, if I print books, and the the manufacturing defect is that when the book is packaged, um, I sometimes put it in the wrong size box to be delivered, does my customer really care about the size of the box that the book comes in? Um, you know, they ordered a book, and they wanted it to show up on their door, and it showed up on their door, and the box was... Uh, you know, three inches longer than it should have been. And did anybody even notice? So if I don't know anything about your customer, if I don't know anything about your business, if I don't know anything about your industry, I simply say, I'm going to do a raw count of the number of books that are placed in the wrong size box. I'm going to implement a digital project that costs me a half a million dollars. And at the end of it, I'm going to reduce the defect rate of putting a book in the wrong size box and celebrate that. In the end, your customer doesn't care. They don't pay you any less if you put it in a wrong size box. Uh, assuming that the boxes are of equal cost to me, there's no benefit to um, the, the bottom line from doing it. And I didn't really have any risk um, that I introduced by putting it in a slightly larger box. And so I've got this digital project that I've done and I've celebrated it. And you know, we've, we, we've, we've had a team a team, you know, a, a team get together where we had a cake and everybody got excited about the accomplishment. And in the end, you haven't actually moved the needle at all for the business. So um, start with things that you understand. Start with things you can measure. Start with things that matter in terms of the overall customer experience and the outcomes that you're trying to drive, whether that's you know, better top-line growth, better bottom-line results, or uh, lower risk. And make sure that you are doing things that you understand not only how to improve them, but that the, that improvement matters and it can be translated to... Something that is tangible for your organization, whether that's you know a, a net promoter score from a customer or uh, top line results or bottom line results.
0: I'd love to get your perspective. I mean, since you've you know, you've been in you you really uh, you know approached the industry from the angle of of a you know of a technology vendor. You know how does the uh, how does the technology vendor uh, you know effectively? work with the, with, with a customer to, to help them see how to change business process and, and, and potentially overcome objections that say, you know, I'm, I'm running a, say I'm running a manufacturing company and saying, well, you guys are just, you guys just do technology and uh, it's, you know, we, we love your back office software or, or or we need, you know, we need the technology to uh, your networking technology to, to manage our internet traffic. But, you know, how do you how do you understand what we need as a business and i'd love to get your perspective of how you know, tech companies have, have been able to to lead you know transition you know toward you know digi- digitalization and uh, you know true connected industry but it's but as 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 an outsider you know what are some of the advantages and 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 maybe some of the challenges in in helping you know helping customers in different industries uh, you know take that journey well, I, I think as a customer or consumer of technology, one of the things that is most
1: challenging that that you really need to pay attention to is not all companies who are put in the technology company umbrella are created equally. There are companies that are entirely focused on the technology itself, and the application of that technology um, is really what they understand. They understand the domain. Let's just say it's machine learning, right? They understand the domain of building the algorithms and they understand, uh, you know, the the processing that's required to do deep learning, you know, those sorts of things. Those companies that are technology focused, technology oriented, um, are different from companies that are business process oriented or uh, that are oriented towards a, a business focus and use technology as a means to the end of delivering the outcome of the process. I would, um, not to turn this into a commercial for SAP, but uh, you know, I would submit that while SAP is certainly uh, lumped into the high-tech uh, sector, um, that what SAP's real focus is, is business process. Um, enterprise resource planning is ultimately very much uh, the, what the business was built on. It's the sort of the heart and soul. It's, it's, you know, where the company has grown up. And there's lots of technology that SAP now brings to customers. But it's all done in the process orientation, right? It's all done in the orientation of, your industry, your business process, and how do we then apply those technologies to the process. But rather than starting with technology, it starts with an understanding, a deep understanding of the industry and the business processes within that industry. And so as a consumer, if I were a CIO and I were thinking about digital transformation or any other C-suite thinking about digital transformation projects, um, the first question I would want to ask is, Who really understands my business? Who really understands my industry? Who really understands my processes? And then we can figure out how those people can either on their own or together with partners who are technology oriented, technology oriented, can come and apply technology to help with that process. But if all you understand is the technology and you do not understand the business, it can be very tough to apply the technology correctly.
0: Yeah, and of course, technology is just one part of a, a, a business transformation as well, right? Because you need to be able to map uh, potential business models and uh, the, the changes that that may be required to uh, adopt, for instance, a new go-to-market model, or or even an, a realign an organization to uh, uh, you know to a different business process. Um, do you, do you have any thoughts about how, you know, organizations have, have been able to, you know, effectively adopt digitalized business processes, you know, where there, where there may be a, you know, pretty significant, uh, you know, reallocation of, of, uh, you know, where, where labor, where human involvement is, uh, uh, you know, is, is needed in the organization. In, In other words, what I'm, uh, what I'm referring to is when you start to automate processes, right, and, and, and people's roles change, you know, what are some, what are some best practices that, are, that, that you may have seen to, to help guide that, you know, the, the types of transitions that, that may incorporate some, some pushback or, or disruption in an organization? Well, I think, you fl- I think you framed the topic very well and
1: danced all around the word that I'm uh, dying to say. <laughs> uh, without actually saying it, um, culture is a significant barrier to the success of transformative projects of any kind, uh, and that includes digital transformation. Um, attitudes of the people who have to trust the technology and trust the post-transformed way of working. And if you fail to take into account the the serious importance of transforming the culture, transforming the way that employees approach things, the way they think about things, the way that you are rewarding and recognizing people, um, then the technology cannot get you there. Um, and, and I think the, the difference between now and you know, 10 years ago, when you look at something like uh, machine learning... In the mathematics behind what's done in machine learning are not new. The statistical algorithms that are used for advanced analytics are not new. Most of them have been around longer than you and I. Um, what is new is the processing power that's available to apply those things to uh, ridiculous amounts of data uh, at an extremely fast pace so that we can apply those things to, you know, to enough data in the right amount of time to get a result that, that matters in a time that matters. Um, the technology is there to do amazing things. But if your job for 20 years, Ed, has been figuring out when to push this button and I show up tomorrow and say, you push this button when the light goes on, And that's it. That's all the change management that I've done in the organization. What are the chances that you're going to believe the light coming on over your gut instinct that has been developed over 20 years of experience? And if you don't figure out how to overcome that cultural adoption, that that cultural barrier to adoption, you can have the best run, best delivered, most impactful digital transformation initiative in the world and it will fail to deliver the business value because it won't be adopted, it won't be trusted, um, and people will look for excuses to find fault with it. Um, and I, you know, in terms of best practices, you know, obviously uh, I'm showing my hand a bit here that having a parallel uh, cultural initiative, uh, uh, you know, change management initiative uh, within your organization to the technology initiatives that are going around digital transformation is very important. Um, the other thing that that I touched on uh, briefly is rewarding and recognizing people. Yeah. Do I reward and recognize you for making a diving catch based on your gut instinct today? Well, if I do, I'm reinforcing that. I'm I'm incentivizing you to look for things at the very last minute, dive and catch, be the hero. Um, you know, and and I'm giving you you know bonuses and performance awards. Based on that behavior, if I continue to reward and recognize you on that, while I'm doing a digital transformation initiative that's meant to introduce the idea of predictive intervention, Um, I'm I'm not really doing what I need to do to change your behavior to incent you to accept the earlier warning signs and go intervene earlier in the process to prevent the crisis, because I'm still giving you reward and recognition to recover from the crisis. So those sorts of things are just as important as the technology. Um, you know, in the end, there is no uh, generalized artificial intelligence today that can replace a human being in the, in the workplace. Um, that you know, may be a reality someday, but we're a long way away from it, which means that every digital initiative that we do for the foreseeable future is going to rely on the human machine interaction and that means that the human has to be considered in the project as well as the machines.
0: Now that's uh, that's a that's great insight and I think the you know you again you you hit on you hit on the the word that I was dancing around culture but you know we find that you know moving these uh, you know these biological machines, these, I guess, meat machines, is what we call it. Those are, those are the most difficult machines of all to manipulate. Um, you know, I'd love to, uh, back up a little bit and, uh, and ask you a bit about the, the pro- a high level view of the market. Um, I mean, you've been, you, I mean, you've been focused on connected industry and uh, really digitalization of you know, industrial, uh, Sectors, you know, for a while, would love to get your your sense of you know, kind of where 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 are we in the market? I know a few years ago we there was a there was a lot of ex, a, a lot of hype. The excitement cooled off a bit. There was a, a period of a little bit of disappointment, but uh, you know, it seems now that there's a there's a there's a much greater interest in in you know, particularly among some uh, some sectors that are lagging. Uh, for instance, you know, construction uh, and and real estate in you know and really being forward thinking and adopting technologies and we'd love to get your sense of you know what what's you know where where are we in the in, in the kind of in the broader market uh, evolution and whether there are any uh, you know kind of notable use cases companies or, or industries that uh, that stand out to you
1: well I, the the maturity that I've seen over the past year to 18 months, uh, as I've worked with customers um, and you know met people at industry conferences and heard their their stories, has been that we've gone from this view that digital initiatives are separate and distinct from the core business to realizing that digital initiatives are core and essential to the business. And by that, I mean, I think there's a broader realization that there's not going to be a world in the future where I have e-commerce over there and -and brick-and-mortar commerce over here. Um, Those two things are not separate. They're not distinct. They, for retailers, are coming closer and closer together, and the lines are getting more and more blurry. Um, if you look at Amazon five years ago and what people were saying, it was the death of retail. All the stores are going to be closed, retail is going out of business. Um, and if you look today at what Walmart is doing, as an example, uh, Walmart as uh, and by the way, this is not based on any work that I've done directly with Walmart, or with Walmart. just to be clear, this is a, you know, my, my outsider's view from, from watching publicly available information about what Walmart is, is doing. Um, if you look at what Walmart is doing, they have figured out how to leverage their brick and mortar infrastructure for things like in-store pickups that provide them with a different way of operating Than Amazon, where everything's delivered to your door. But if you look at their results, if you look at the the financial results, what they're doing seems to be working. It doesn't suggest the death of retail. It doesn't suggest that Walmart stores are going to start closing because everybody wants everything shipped in a brown box to their house. I also don't think that that means that what Amazon is doing is not working. Um, But they are different business models and figuring out how to leverage. Your existing assets, your existing strengths, what you already do well as a company, and add to that, augment it, surround it with new things that are well connected to your strengths. Um, that's a little different than what we heard a few years ago, where it was you know, whatever you're doing in the old world, oh, that's all just old stuff that we're going to throw away. Here's this new world of digital. Um, I don't see as much of that sort of everything is greenfield thinking. Um, that I saw a few years ago, what I see now from customers is a realization that they have to leverage the strengths of their existing core business and tie digital initiatives very closely to that in order to achieve not only a digital transformation, but a digital transformation that feels real and genuine to their customers and that leverages the strengths that they have and the competitive advantages that they've been working to build for years and years.
0: That's a that's a pretty significant transition. I think it it really reflects a a maturing of the perception of technology from the standpoint of of business people and and the way they are looking at their industries is not such a not the zero sum game, I think, that was initial the initial conception. particularly retail is a great example. Um what about from the technology standpoint? Are there are there some you know, technology uh, dynamics, uh, t- trends, or or really uh, you know enablers that that you can point to that uh, that you feel are you know are are having an outsized impact on on the conversations?
1: Well, I mean, you know, these days the the, the thing that um, every customer that I talk with is excited about, everybody that I meet at a trade show and a conference, um, you know, every analyst that I talk with at Gartner. Um, it's all about AI, and it's all about how to apply AI uh, to various parts of their, their business, their business processes. Um, and, you know, of course, the, the things that are happening in AI uh, are also pretty exciting in their own right, you know, from you know, deep learning and, um, you know, hybrid learning models. And uh, I think there are, um, there are things that are also happening to mature that space. Uh, you know, as an example, uh, a few years ago, If I built a machine learning algorithm that decided whether or not to admit you to to a college, um, if three years later you sued me and said, hey, that practice was discriminatory, you used um, information in that model that you shouldn't have used, most organizations couldn't have gone back and produced the model that they were using three years ago because they'd refined the model. They'd, They'd continue to provide training data, and they'd, they'd refine that model, and they couldn't go back and provide you with um, a, a clear traceability to how that model, that algorithm made the decision that it made. Um, yeah, you know, the same is true in, in any other application. I just happened to, uh, to, to choose college admissions as an easy example. Um, that lack of traceability, that lack of transparency is problematic because when we rely more and more on artificial intelligence to make decisions, you know we make mistakes as humans all the time, and we shouldn't expect the machine to be perfect. Uh, there are going to be mistakes that are made by artificial intelligence. there are going to be decisions that are taken that are not the right ones and the important thing is for us to be able to understand what happened and learn from it um, you know and and not to expect more from the AI than what is. Reasonably possible. But that maturity of being able to version models, that maturity of being able to go back and find the model that made the decision three years ago and understand why it made the decision that it did, so that we can understand whether that was correct or incorrect, is an important part of the maturity of artificial intelligence. Um, In the same way that, you know, if you have someone in your organization making hiring and firing decisions, and they fire an employee for a reason that they shouldn't have been able to fire an employee for, you go back and you hold that person accountable, right? There, there's, um, there's a conversation, there's, there's training, there's uh, coaching that happens about how to make that decision better next time. And we need to be able to do that with our artificial intelligence and the models that we're using. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see that kind of maturity coming. And I think what that means is now that technology, because it is becoming more mature and getting some of these, you know, what we would call probably enterprise features, um, there's an opportunity for us to do more with it at scale and in an enterprise, knowing that it, it doesn't leave us exposed because of a lack of enterprise capability or functionality.
0: Are there certain skill sets that uh, the, that you find are in are in short supply when it comes to AI and machine learning um that you see as really critical to uh, in, in ensuring that that adoption will be you know effective and and appropriate. i, I we hear a lot about the, uh, the you know shortage of of data scientists and you know people with, Really advanced skills around machine learning, and I mean, at this point, it seems to, to be a bit of a constraint. And and you get the the baby with a hammer syndrome, right, where you know, people want to you try out technologies almost everywhere they can find them. But you know, how do you how do you how do you ensure um, you know if you're a if you're if you're a company looking to incorporate some of these technologies, and you know, as a uh, as a software vendor, uh, you know what what can a company like SAP provide to ensure that the you know that the te- that there's the the best match between the technology and and the the skills and capabilities and goals of of the organization using it. Well, I think
1: you know obviously a business understanding. You know, there are a lot of people that are being churned out of university who have an understanding of Hadoop and Spark and Python and you know, all these great uh, software um, and technology elements that can help do incredible things. But to the discussion that we had earlier, you know, if they're not able to understand the business context, um, you know, how am I going to take somebody who deeply understands machine learning but knows nothing about retail and ask them to apply machine learning correctly to help me do you know, a, a product assortment? Um, if you don't even know what a product assortment is, uh, you know, we're, we've got a fundamental problem regardless of what technology you're able to bring. So that, that industry understanding and taking people who have it and teaching them the technology, you know, I, I think that needs to be given as much consideration as hiring the best and brightest who are coming out of MIT. Um, because the best and brightest who are coming out of MIT deeply understand technology and statistics and mathematics, but they may lack that business context. Um, and you know, I think as we look at artificial intelligence, one of the, in particular, one of the concerns is the robots taking over the world, um, you know, kind of thing aside. Uh, the robots taking my job, which, which I think in in a lot of cases is a real concern. We have tasks that have historically been done by humans that now are going to be done by machines, and where does that lead the human? Um, what the machine doesn't have is that depth of understanding of the contextual things that are outside of the data set that are used to train a specific model. Artificial intelligence is very domain-specific. Um, and so the, you know, the idea of having the people who may be otherwise displaced by um, a certain you know, set of things that will be done by artificial intelligence instead of by a human, the opportunity there is... To leverage the knowledge that they have of all the contextual things around the edges, um, to work together with the algorithms and make overall better decisions. So I think that's that's one, and that really speaks to me of a need for us to focus more on workforce retraining and reskilling of an existing workforce, so that we don't run into this problem where the machine suddenly is doing what the human used to do, and the human now doesn't have a seat at the table, but rather we change the look and feel of that seat at the table so that the human and the machine work together uh, to do things that, that deliver the best results. So that's one. Um, two, and you know, this, this one for me is, is really key because of the fact that I spend most of my time in front of customers and partners. Um, if you understand data, if you understand whether it's you know, how to use sensors to generate a bunch of data in a connected, you know, connected context, or it's artificial intelligence, or it's you know analytics, or master data management, uh, and you can't tell a business relevant story. You are far less valuable uh, because, in the end, somebody has to go in and talk with the CEO and the board about how we're going to make more money, how we're going to save a bunch of money, or how we're going to reduce our risk. That's a business conversation. that's not a technology conversation.
0: Yeah.
1: and so that, that storytelling skill is one that is so important and I think often overlooked in technology-oriented degree programs, um, and, and, and I think that's, that, that's a real problem because if you churn out people from uh, you know, master's programs who or PhD programs who really understand the data and the mathematics and the science and the statistics, but they don't understand how to tell a business-relevant story, they may be applying that technology in a great way, but they're never going to get funding for their project.
0: Yeah, you you kind of hit on a, uh, a topic of uh, a really interesting book, Daniel Pink's Whole New Mind, where he talks about this. Uh, the I, I, the subtext is that right-brainers will rule the future because you can automate you know so many engineering-type tasks or rote tasks but that ability to you know create a narrative and uh, and connect with people on on the human side of course that's at least at least for the time being you can't we're we're, we're not at the point where virtual assistants are going to uh, <laughs> displace you know true true connection with people um and I'd love to get your thoughts you know lo- looking forward a bit you know you where know, there maybe some opportunities and 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 use cases and potentials of of some of the emerging technologies that could that could really change the way that the way that we think of uh you know different different types of roles and i know in our prior conversation i know you were you're talking a lot about you know natural language processing but as you, as you look forward i mean what what gets you excited and 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 really optimistic about uh the creativity that uh that could be unleashed by the potential of new technologies
1: well, I mean, I, you know, that's that, that's a broad topic, and I can answer that in a lot of different ways.
0: But the thing that immediately came to mind is, <laughs> yeah, it, I love it, to it, ask open-ended question like that. <laughs> the thing that comes to mind though is, is in the end, um, businesses
1: have shareholders, and their shareholders are thinking about their investment and the return on their investment. Um, every project that involves sexy, flashy technology has to be able to relate back in the end to that objective, because that's what the board is in place to make sure happens. The board hires the CEO. The CEO is there to make sure that that happens. Um, If you don't think about every technology, every technology project, every new Facet of technology in the context of how does it actually help me do something better? And, you know, I I, I haven't given any consumer examples. Of course, there are a bunch of those as well. But, you know, if you think about it in the enterprise context, shareholders want return on their investment. And if that comes from the application of better technology, great. But it can't be technology for technology's sake when you think about how to leverage technology in, in the future. And so the, the, the thought behind that for me, when you asked the question was, I'm not sure that the technology is what's really opening up the future possibilities as much as it is the intersection that's happening of technology and business. Um, You know, historically things like uh, machine learning were you know it was in the realm of mathematicians and statisticians, largely academic applications. And I'm talking not in the last couple of years, but you know further back than that. Largely academic applications and things that were um, not necessarily business relevant. What's really exciting and the trend that I see that you know I, I think is going to be the most impactful over the next five or ten years is this is now a C-suite and board-level conversation about what are we doing with IoT? What are we doing with artificial intelligence? What are we doing with machine learning? Um, the fact that those conversations are now board-relevant conversations mean that there's an opportunity for that technology to intersect the business at the level where it can make a huge impact on Shareholder value, and that's exciting. Uh, I, I think probably more than anything uh, else, right? Is, is that conversation is now happening at the right level to have real, significant impact on global corporations?
0: And that's that's not a. As you have mentioned, I think it's not a, a. It's not an evolution of technology, but it is this intersection of a, a awareness and a bit of an, a a change in in sea level culture as well. I think that's. Kind of an important uh, point that you that you've made. Um, what about concerns and and obstacles and risks ahead? What are the What are the things that keep you and and your clients up <laughs> at night, uh, tossing and turning, and sleeping like a baby waking up, or sleeping like a baby waking up every two hours, crying? As <laughs> um, Well, you know, the, there are a couple of things that um, you know. I, I don't know how.
1: Uh, I don't know how they would have otherwise come up in this discussion today, but I, I can't let now that this conversation has turned a lot to lots of artificial intelligence in particular. Um, you know, I, I just can't let the conversation go without uh, making a couple of points. One is that um, algorithms are trained using data. Um, data comes from the past right? and it's things that have happened in the past that you're using to, to, to try to predict the future uh, to some extent. Um, In the past, there's been in companies uh, a lack of diversity, a lack of inclusion, uh, a lack of people who don't look like you or me, uh, if we're the ones who are doing the hiring, uh, getting the job. Uh, There's been a lot of bad behavior uh, in, in the past. And one of the things that keeps me up at night is that if I take historical data about salaries and I apply... Uh, that data as training data to an algorithm, without the awareness that historically many um, you know many companies are were guilty of underpaying women minorities um, and just let the algorithm make the decision about how much people should be paid. I will take the bad behavior of the past and turn it into systemic future decision-making uh, in a way that will get me a very, very bad result in terms of how my workplace is viewed by people uh, who have historically been underpaid or not paid fairly, not paid evenly with, with their other colleagues. Uh, we have to apply that human understanding of the failures of the past to how we train our algorithms to help us make decisions for the future. We cannot allow that to happen we we have to make sure that algorithms that are written are written specifically to remove bias from the hiring process they're written to remove lack of equity in compensation they're you know th- th- those things are very important and one of the things that concerns me one of the things that keeps me up at night is for all of the conversation that we have as a society uh, these days about diversity and inclusion and equality and the importance of those things—if you look at the board of directors makeup of the Fortune 500, um, it is still largely a very non-diverse group, and I'm not sure that you know this this topic that I just touched on gets as much passionate dialogue at the right level as it should. Um, There's a lot of thought about how to improve the bottom line. But in improving the bottom line, we also have to make sure that we're behaving in a socially responsible way. We know that there have been inequities in the past that cannot exist in the future. And we need boards of directors and C suite executives to institutionalize equality and fairness and diversity and inclusion uh, in a way that the historical data won't do without some intervention. Mm-hmm. And so I think that has to be a, a, a topic of conversation. It has to be something that we're not afraid to talk about. And it has to be something that
0: uh, we are all committed as executives and boards of directors to addressing. I, I think that's a, that's a great point that you made, that it's, again, if you look at what what's transpired historically, and try to build a predictive model based on data that has really just emerged through practices that may have inherent or you know un, undiscovered flaws. You you kind of miss out on the on the opportunity. I think what's so you, you you raise an interesting point about data. I mean the data. Um, certainly, about uh, investing in in uh, companies that are led by female founders. For instance, there have been a, a few several studies that show that proportionately, uh, companies that are led by female-led founders are underinvested in the venture world. However, they deliver you know outsized returns. They, I mean, statistically, they they tend to perform better uh, as a you know as a whole and. Um, uh, you know, proportionate to the investment, and you know, do you, do you think that there is there are ways to use the new technologies to uh, identify you know potential um say disconnects in in identification of value? Maybe it's almost like a an application of of, of saber metrics or Moneyball to to corporate governance. Is that a do you, do you think it you know that that, that there might be a way to? Uh, To address this, actually harnessing harnessing existing technologies, I think so, absolutely. Uh, If I look at
1: uh, some of the things that are done uh, with artificial intelligence to remove bias in the process of selecting the right resume from a pile, um, you know, it is absolutely human nature, and I cannot fault anyone for uh, for this. You know, because it's 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 down there deep somewhere in the you know, in, the, in the stem of our brain, that if I can't pronounce your name, I am less likely to pull your resume from the pile and call you for an interview. Because it's embarrassing for me that I can't pronounce your name. It's uncomfortable for me, and so I'm less likely to do it. Um, you know, that, that means that people who come from a different um, you know, background, either you know, speak a different native language uh, or you know, live in a different part of the world, than where I grew up, who have a you know, very different name, and it's one that's uncomfortable, and uh, you know, and 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 makes me not want to pick up the phone and call you, are less likely to get a phone call. They're less likely to get the job. Obviously, hundred percent of people who don't get an interview don't get a job. Um, that bias can be removed by allowing an algorithm to look through a resume and decide who comes in for an interview based solely on. Criteria like their skill set, which is what we really should be looking at, right who's going to be most effective at doing this job? Um, not do I feel comfortable pronouncing your name? There are things that can be done like that all throughout an organization, undertaking a a, a look at i mean the the processing power and the you know the, the algorithms exist now to look at compensation from a hundred different views you know compensation is is in most large companies made up of a, of a mix of your base salary, bonus, stock incentives, you know, those sorts of things, um, all of those can be sliced and diced in a million different ways you know, in a snap of a finger uh, by machine learning algorithms to point out where inequities exist based on or maybe not originally based on, but along the lines of bias against a certain group. Um, It is a pretty pretty well-known fact that in most organizations, women make less for doing the same job than men make for doing that same job. Um, Most organizations in their C-suite and their board would say if they were asked, that's not fair, that's not right, we shouldn't do that, we should fix that. But I think in a lot of cases, you know, the question is okay. Well, what are you actually doing to fix that? And there is technology, uh, you know, application that, that can help uh, provide guidance there to managers so that managers make decisions that are fair and equitable and not uh, based either overtly or accidentally on whether you are, you know, a man or a woman, a minority or not, et cetera. Uh, and and those things are things that we can do to not only Help the company run better, um, but get better results. You know, you you mentioned uh, women founders tend to have better return for investors, um, and that means something. Um, companies that have diversity in their C-suite and their board of directors tend to have better
0: financial results. Um, that's a that's a tangible benefit to every shareholder. Uh, what company wouldn't want that? Absolutely, and and I, I, I think it's terrific that you're you're uh you're you're highlighting this, and and I think it's a, it's a conversation that uh, we just need to have we need to have more actively, and not just uh, not just rely on uh, you know California, for instance, to 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 pass laws insisting on on representation. It it needs to be a you know. Or representation of women on on public company boards we we need this to be much more of a an organic conversation really uh, uh, overall so um, well,
1: I certainly agree with that, and I think the you know I think the fact that California did that and led the way with it is great, but the reality is that if you're a shareholder of a company, as I talked about earlier, your main concern is the return on the investment that you've made in that company, and if yeah, statistics prove that companies that are more diverse deliver better financial results as a shareholder, you should be advocating for that. It shouldn't be down to the state have to, to pass a law. I, I mean, I'm, I certainly applaud California for what they've done, but as shareholders of companies, of public companies, we should all be advocates for them delivering the best financial results and doing it in a socially
0: uh, responsible way. Absolutely. Well, that, I'm Again, I, I, pr- I really appreciate you uh, s- spending some time on this because I think it's a um, it's topical and 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 really critical. But I think we're uh, we're just about running up on on the um, uh, on the end of our, our time here. And I always like to ask uh, ask a question about a, any recommendations that you might have to share with with our listeners uh, for for a book or other resource. So I
1: um you know, I, I have two sitting here on my desk. Uh, one is um, written by Nick Polson and, uh, and, and James Scott. Uh, it's called AIQ, How People and Machines Are Smarter Together. Uh, Dr. Scott is a professor uh, here in Austin, where I live at the University of Texas at Austin. A brilliant guy, a PhD in statistics from Duke, uh, and also studied at, um, at, at Cambridge. I had the opportunity to listen to him speak the other day and um, have a copy of his book that I've been uh, devouring a really interesting read I would definitely I definitely recommend that one and i um I'd be remiss not to put a small plug in for uh, for my friend Tom Davenport if you uh, are a, a fan of analytics or artificial intelligence you'll uh, you'll know tom he's um got uh, a bunch of books they're all really good uh, but in um in this one I think uh, Tom touches on some things that are uh, important to me, and that we talked about today, which is that you know, the the business value of artificial intelligence uh, is solid, uh, not sexy or splashy. At least that's what the inside of the book jacket says. Um, i've I've read about half of this book, and I think he makes the point um, very well with some uh, w- with some depth that it's not about the the sexiness or the splashy appeal of the technology. it's really about the business results. Um, and Tom's a, a fantastic writer and overall a, a great guy. So uh, oh. I'd recommend that one. It's called the AI Advantage.
0: Uh, awesome, I know, and, and uh, I think a lot of people would uh, would point to competing on analytics as the you know a, a, a pivotal work that really made the case for uh, you know, for the advent of big data and, and analytics uh, about a, a little over a decade ago. So that's a, that's a great recommendation. So um, anyway, uh, we're. Well, it's been, a, a, as always, a fascinating conversation, and we touched on a lot of uh, super interesting topics. Um, this is Ed McGuire, the Insights Partner at Momentum Partners, and uh, thank you, Mike Flanagan, uh, once again, you know, for, for, for sharing your time. It was uh, extremely fascinating and, and, and a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. My, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast. We rely on feedback, comments, and input from our listeners. So please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners.